0: Hey, Cornwall Church, it is so good to have you uh, with us today. Those of you in the building with us, man. let me just say, you look fantastic. And those of you in Skagit, so grateful that you're with us again today. And I believe uh, Pastor Jeff is there uh, helping out today with Scott being on vacation. Those of you in Belize at Gym Church, and of course, those of you online, so glad to have you with us today. Today, I do want to spend, I don't normally do this, but I do want to just make one little notation of a, a special welcome to a guest that we have here today. That guest is called Summer. Yeah, summer actually showed up, and uh, here we go. It finally feels like summer is here. And now that the mercury has been hovering on either side of 80 for a couple of days, you can go into your normal uh, summer mode of complaining about how hot it is, and oh, you wish there was a relief. So anyway, whether you're complaining or rejoicing in the heat and the warmth of this summer day, I am so glad uh, that you joined us today. If you were with us last week, we started our summer series looking at the book of Colossians. Colossians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a town that he had never visited. These are people he's never met before, but he writes them this letter. And what's amazing is that while he's never even been to their church, the letter that he writes them is what many theologians would say is the most profound letter that he ever wrote. And as we saw last week, one of the key factors is to show the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. And at the end of our our time, or at our time, yes, last week, I gave you kind of some homework uh, to take nine minutes and watch a video put on by the Bible Project, and if you were not able to do that or you forgot to do that, I want to, again, encourage you this week to spend those nine minutes. If you just Google these three words, read Scripture Colossians, it'll bring up a YouTube video that they put together. It gives you an overview, helps you understand the entire book in about nine minutes, which is shorter than my sermons. So I would encourage you to do that. Uh, last week, I gave you some of the back story, the, the setting, the, the context, who wrote it, who it was written to, where was this town, what's the history of this town, how did the church get started, what were the issues, all that. And, and it, was, it was amazing stuff that of, of this town and this church in, in uh, Colossae. But I want to spend just a moment giving you a backstory behind the backstory, story. And this one starts... 30 years before the letter was written, 30 years before Paul writes this letter, Jesus is with his disciples, and he makes this statement uh, to them. He said, I will build my church, and not even the gates of hell or the gates of Hades will prevail against it. He said, I will build my church. Now, let me just get a little crowd participation. Everyone do this uh, right now, and some of us know uh, what what this is all about because we learned this when we were little kids in, in church. Put your hands like this. And then we say this. Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. And here's all the people. Now, when Jesus said, I will build my church, it had nothing to do with this. He was not talking about a building at all. He was talking about this. In fact, a few years after he had said, I will build my church, he was, had, had died and he had been come, come back from the dead. He was resurrected. And he met with his disciples and he gave them these words. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and not build church buildings, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I'll be with you to the end of the age. But he said, I want you to go into all nations. This isn't just a Jewish thing. This isn't just for Israel. I want you to go beyond all that. Well, a little bit after that, the last thing he says to them before he ascends to go to be with the Father, found in Acts chapter one verse eight, it says, "And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and all Judea and Samaria." and to the ends of the earth. Again, there's this this global vision that this isn't just for this area. This is to go to all the earth, to all the nations. He would talk about these this global vision beyond that. So for 30 years... This has been happening, and throughout the Roman Empire, the the kingdom of God, the the truth and the life-changing truth of the gospel is going forward, people are becoming followers of Jesus, churches are being planted, amazing things are happening, and in the midst of all that, Paul goes to Ephesus, spends a couple of years there in what is now Turkey, while he's there, apparently uh, Epaphras or Epaphras comes and, and hears the gospel, becomes a Christian, goes back to Colossae and plants this church. And now he's gone to Rome to visit Paul, who's in prison. That's the backstory behind the backstory and the backstory review from last week. So Paul writes this letter. And in this letter, early on, he reminds these people that he's never met before, of the global vision that jesus has and how they play a part in the fulfillment of this vision that jesus had about going into all nations and and going into all the world in colossians chapter one verse five and six he says this you have already heard about it in the word of truth the gospel this good news that has come to you look at this all over the world This gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace and all its truth. All over the world, he says, this gospel is bearing fruit and it's growing just like it's done with you. Now, Jesus is not the only one that's ever had a global vision to let's impact the whole earth. In 1930-ish, in the 1930s, there was an airline that started, and they had a global vision. That airline uh, was uh, called TWA and later referred specifically as Trans World Airline, that they were going to transcend the the globe. They were going to have an airline that that would cover the whole earth, and it lasted for about 70 years, and that was their global vision. In the 1980s, there was a magazine that came out, TWS Trans World Skateboarding. I used to look at this magazine because I was skateboarding. Trans World Skateboarding. It's the idea that, that this was not just a, you know a Southern California thing. This was all over the earth. That these skateboarders and they would you know chronicle all this. And, it, and the magazine lasted 35 or 40 years. Then there's this TWG, this Trans World Gospel. And it doesn't just last for 35 or 40 years. And it doesn't just last for 70 years. But for 2,000 years, this vision that Jesus had, what Paul talks about, has been happening. Now, I want to, before we get back to Colossians, I want to take just a minute and tell you how this is still happening, even in our very midst. Two weeks ago on Saturday night uh, after church, um, or before church, actually, I was out greeting people, and some folks came in, uh, Trish, uh, Kelly and Trisha Huckabee and their five kids, hadn't seen them in a few years, not because of COVID, but because they actually live in Zambia. So I got a chance to talk with, with Kelly before service, and then they came to service, and, and then afterwards, um, Kelly came up, and he, and he talked to me, and I was standing around over here, and he pointed right back here in, in, in uh, Bellingham, in the room, he said, Right back there, 20 years ago, this week, I became a follower of Jesus. And it was just like, I mean, it was like the very week. And he said it was 20 years ago in this room, right there, I became a Christian. I became a follower of Jesus. He and and Tricia. And they spent three years working in our student ministry as as new believers, and they were helping out with, with these kids and followed these kids along. Well, in 2010, they felt a call into the mission field. And so they moved to Zambia working with Action Zambia. And one of their big things is that they run a, a camp, a conference center, a campground that works with churches. And, and they disciple college-age students. And he says, the amount of fruit that we're seeing as the people that we have discipled are now discipling other college-age students, it's just an amazing thing. And to see that this gospel is a trans-world gospel, it happened in this room, it's over in Zambia, it's happening there, and it's been going on for 2,000 years. Okay, that's in Zambia. Now, here's another story. Just last week, we got a phone call here at the church, Some, uh, an individual who's very nominally distantly connected with Cornwall has come a couple times in the past from what I understand but her stepfather had passed away and they wanted to do a service for him and they wanted a pastor to do that and they'd asked if we had a pastor that could do that and there was a little bit of a tweak on this one is that it, the, re, the, the service was going to be held in a restaurant that he went to every morning and all of his cronies were going to be there the restaurant happened to be in Cedro Woolley and, um, and it just so happened that Pastor Scott, our campus pastor in Mount Vernon in Skagit Valley, uh, was available to be able to do this this service, and so he went to uh, to this this diner, uh, Bonnie Joe's Diner in downtown Cedar Woolley. and there, amongst all the truck drivers and all the locals. Scott is proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of the kingdom of God. And so you see this, it's happening in Zambia and it is happening in Cedar O'Woole. You talk about a global thing. And on top of that, Brian and Melissa Richie just got back from Costa Rica where they were visiting uh, Jason and Abby Torgeson who are from our church, who are missionaries down there, seeing what God is doing in Costa Rica. Pastor um, Jeff and Pastor Mike and Dean Ouellette just got back from Haiti and what's happening with the bread of life and seeing how the gospel is changed changing lives. And Jeff, who was there years ago when this mother brought her son and said, would you take care of my son? Jeff took him in his arms, has sponsored him. And Jeff said it was amazing now years later to see the sponsored child that he took from his mother's arms, who is now leading a prayer meeting and a worship service in Haiti. And when we just go on and on and on about this way that this, this gospel is going all over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. Just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood the, the, the truth of God's grace. So here is happening all over our world, but this has been going on for 2,000 years. It had happened in Colossae. And he says, and you've seen this. You've seen how the gospel bears fruit in your life. You've seen how it's growing in your life. You've seen how the grace has changed your life. I think Paul's probably even thinking about where he writes in, in, um, I think it's in 1 Corinthians where he says, I am who I am because of God's grace and his grace was not without effect. It has changed their lives. So here's this church, this church in in an economically depressed city that used to be great and is just a shell of its glory days. A church that is not necessarily big in size and number. It's not necessarily wealthy. And yet we see that this church is set apart and that it's a model of a thriving church. It's this picture of, of this flourishing church. And we see that early on in this, in this letter, <clears throat> Paul greets them and then he just begins to commend them for How God is working in their midst and how they are submitting and cooperating with the work of the Holy Spirit and the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now in uh, in Colossians 1 verses 3 through 14 in the original Greek, it's one run-on sentence. The whole thing is one ongoing sentence with no stop. No, Paul just doesn't come up for a breath. We're not able to cover all that. Today we're going to hopefully cover about four of those verses. But in some of these verses we're going to look at today, we're going to see some of the character traits, some of the marks of a thriving church, of what God was doing in this church in Colossae. And I believe it applies directly to us at Cornwall Church because it's what God is and wants to be doing in our midst as well. So let's start this. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, your tablet, your device, you can open there. Last week, we just we just got through the greeting and salutation. You know, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus and, and Timothy, and to the, to the holy and faithful brothers um, at Christ, uh, at, uh, in Christ, excuse me, uh, at Colossae. And then he says, grace and peace. This is where we pick up verse three, verse three. He writes this, we always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now he says, we, who's we? So, well, okay. He talked about Timothy. So maybe it's him and Timothy. Well, yes, but it's more than that. And At the end of the letter, in chapter 4, and we may or may not get to it later in August, but he talks about those who are sending their greetings. It's not just he and Timothy. There's also a guy named uh, Tychicus, who's going to be bringing this letter to them. And a guy named Onesimus. And there's a guy named Aristarchus. And there's Mark, whose um, cousin or uncle was Barnabas. And there's a guy named Jesus. Not that Jesus. Another guy named Jesus, who was nicknamed Justice. And, um, and Epiphras, who, who started this church, and also Dr. Luke. And all of them are, he's saying, we thank God for you. When we hear about you, we thank God. When we pray for you, we thank God. But it's not just this like, yeah, thanks God for those nice folks. He gets very specific of why he thanks God, why they thank God. And this is where we begin to see these character traits that set this church apart as a thriving church. Verse four, he says, Here's why we thank God for you when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. They've heard of it. Remember, he's never been there. He doesn't know these people, but he's heard about their faith. uh, Epaphras has come and he's told them about these people and how they just embrace the gospel. He's heard about their faith and it's not just that they, hate, they can just believe a lot. It's not just Josh Groban singing, if you just believe, you know, a little faith, dust, and picky, uh, faith, trust, and pixie dust. It's more than that. It's their faith in Jesus, their faith in Christ Jesus. And the first point I want to uh, uh, point out is this, is that they had a compelling faith a compelling faith in Jesus internally. And this is absolutely foundational. I mean, foundational for any of us who are gonna be a follower after Jesus, because it says in, in Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine, it is by grace we are saved through faith, not through our works, not through earning it, not because we deserve it, but it's through faith. And they have this faith and they've heard Paul's heard about this incredible faith that they have internally in Jesus Christ. You may remember that after Jesus came back from the dead, he appeared to the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. And so Thomas wasn't really sure. In fact, to where he gets his nickname, Doubting Thomas, which really isn't quite fair to Thomas because all the others had seen Jesus and they believed, Thomas just hadn't. And he says, I, I'm, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. So Jesus shows up to Thomas, and this is what he says to him in John chapter 20. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, this church in Colossae would fall into that. They're the ones who have not seen. They didn't see Jesus. They didn't hear Jesus preach. They didn't see Jesus you know, uh, heal the lepers. They didn't see Jesus heal the blind and, and, and those that are deaf could hear again. He, they didn't see Jesus feed the 5,000. They didn't see Jesus after his resurrection. They didn't see any of that. In fact, there were some incredible things that God did through Paul. See this in Acts chapter 19 verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. But they didn't see those either. I mean, that was just 100 miles away in Ephesus, but they didn't see that. They heard the gospel and the truth. They received it and they believed it. They responded. And because of that, he says, we've heard about your faith, the faith you have in Christ Jesus. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse six, it says, and without faith, it's impossible, impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We must have faith. It's impossible to please God. It's, it's our, our entrance into the kingdom of God is through faith. And here's something I found interesting in my studies on Colossae. We, we talked a lot of the backstory last week. There's one detail I didn't tell you about last week. Oh, there's probably more than that. But one that I specifically waited till this week to tell you about is that that area, you remember Colossae and Hier- Hierapolis and Laodicea. One of the the industries that they were known for uh, was the wool industry. They they raised sheep on the hillsides there. And specifically with Laodicea and with um, Colossae, they were known for a specific wool that they dyed, uh, that they they colored. Um, And and so there was a certain flower. And then with the water that they had from the volcanic aquifers, it had this, this quality to it. And there was this deep red, almost a purple color wool that they produced. In fact, there's a Latin word. The Latin word is colisinum, calis, uh, and it means deep purple. So they would, they would dye this wool. And while he doesn't refer to it this way, I see this beautiful picture because we use the term dyed in the wool. And what that literally means is like to the very core of the fibers of that fabric. But figuratively, when you say someone has died in the wool, whatever, it's that there's this, this commitment, this unwavering, holding on to this thoroughness. And when he talks about their faith that, that, that um, uh, Epaphras has told them about, it's this died in the wool faith. They hold on to this. Not only were they saved by faith, but as it says in Romans and throughout Scripture, the righteous live by faith. And and he'll come back around and and he'll commend them and exhort them in this. uh, Again, in this passage that we'll see in a couple of weeks in Colossians chapter 123, Paul says to them, continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. You continue in this faith. And as I think about their faith, and I think about this mark of a thriving church, I think about us. That in our faith, we're called to not only be born into the kingdom of God by faith, but to live by faith and to stand in faith and let nothing move us. And there's a song uh, here in Bellingham that we learned a couple weeks ago, and the lyrics go this way Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? He won't. Christ is my firm foundation. And this is the characteristic that initially sets him apart as just this flourishing, thriving church to be a model, is that they had this, this faith, this compelling faith in Jesus internally. But that's not That's not the end of it. I mean, that was just the start. He says, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints. Not just the saints that are easy to love. Not just the saints you really like. The love for all the saints. And what you see here is that they have a complete love, the complete love of Jesus externally. Like it's, it's going out to others. And I hope that this goes without saying because Jesus was so unbelievably crystal clear about the importance, the utmost importance of love for his followers in his kingdom, in his body called the church. I mean, he, he talked about this love and it's a love of another kind. It's not like, like the rest of the world. I mean, he would talk about things like loving your enemy, praying for those who persecute you, blessing those who curse you, doing good to those who harm you. I mean, this was a different kind of love. This is above and beyond. And he would teach it over and over again. But not only would he teach it, he would model it. I mean, it's how he lived his life. When he loved those who were far from God. People that that disagreed with him theologically, he still loved them. Uh, People that maybe disliked him, he still loved them. People like the tax collectors, who were seen as these outcasts. Antisocial, rebellious thieves, or the prostitutes who are morally bankrupt, or maybe those who would deny him, like his own disciples. And he loved them. And he calls us to love the same way. He always has. I and mean, he says, This is so important. That you would love people even if they're not like you. Even if they don't think like you. Or believe like you. Or vote like you. Or live like you. Even if their lifestyle happens to disgust you. You love. On the night before he was uh, crucified, he's in the upper room with his disciples. And he knows that Judas is going to betray him. He knows that Peter is going to deny him. And he knows the others are going to desert him. He knows that. He knows it's going to happen. And yet in the upper room, it says, having loved his own, he now shows them the full extent of his love. And yes, he washes their feet, but he also is going to show them the full extent of his love by dying on the cross for them. In that context, in that setting, knowing what they're all getting ready to do, he tries to make this point so clear yet again. In John 13, verse 34, he says, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you So you must love one another the way that I have loved you, the way he's going to show them his love for them, the way that he has loved us. He says, that's how I want you to love one another. You know, companies, corporations, businesses will spend millions and millions of dollars branding their company. Um, You know, if, if they can have a brand that is recognizable, I mean, it is so invaluable so that... Uh, You get to the point where you see a swoosh. You don't need any words. You already know the logo means Nike. You see a green siren. You don't need any other words. You already know it means Starbucks coffee. You can see concentric red circles, red and white circles, and you know (laughs) this one's kind of easy because it looks like one. You think Target. Uh, You see a certain smile on a box, and you already know Amazon package has gotten here. These kind of pictures, just the, the, the very image is what represents the whole company. Well, Jesus comes along and he says, and I want to brand my followers as well. So, in that next verse in chapter 13, verse 35 of John, he says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Here's how they're going to know if you have a cross on your neck, if you have a fish on your car, uh, if you have a dove on your t-shirt now he says it's not a logo it's not a, this is this is how we are going to brand these followers of jesus by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another and colossi got it right they did they had this complete love of jesus externally and what about us what about us at cornwall church is that what we're known for? When people say, oh, Cornwall Church is the first thing they think of. Oh, that's that group that just, they're so loving. It doesn't mean that we have to agree with everything. It doesn't mean that we have to celebrate everything. What it means is that we love the way Jesus does. So here's this church, this little church in this obscure little town, and Paul just commends them because they have this compelling faith in Jesus internally. And they have this complete love of Jesus externally. And then he says, and here's why. Here's how. Here's where all that comes from. Verse 5. The faith and love, that's what we just talked about. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven. Now, a lot of translations, it might say the faith and love that uh, comes from your hope that is stored up for you in heaven, or proceeds from the hope, or is because of the hope. Only the NIV uses that word spring, and, and it's probably not the greatest translation, but I love it, and here's why. So when I think about it, he's saying you've got faith that is compelling, you've got love that's complete, and it just springs like you can't hold it back. It just springs from this hope that you have. And when I think about that spring, I mean, my, my thought goes to Tigger. I mean, you remember Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, you know, <laughs> There's a, that uh, bouncy, trouncy, bouncy, fun, 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 fun. But the most wonderful thing about Tigger is I'm the only one. Here's this Tigger. And he's just bouncing around. You cannot contain Tigger. He just springs around. His tail's a spring. And what I love about this translation of it is he says, your love and your faith, it can't be contained. It just springs from this hope that is stored up for you. And what you see here is that they have a confident hope, a confident hope from Jesus eternally. It's stored up for you in heaven. Remember, they have got every reason in the world to be without hope. As we talked about last week, their economy has tanked and it's not coming back. Because the trade route doesn't go through their town anymore. Their city has or will be destroyed by an earthquake and it may never ever be rebuilt the way it was before. Nero is the emperor and the government and the the persecution that will happen to Christians, the culture that they live in religiously and non-religious, putting all this pressure with all this false teaching. They have every reason in the world to be hopeless and yet they have this confident hope. I mean, later in Colossians chapter three, we'll get to this. I'll preach on this one in in August, I think. He says to them, set your eyes on things above, not on things of this earth. And the reason is because that's where your hope is. That the hope that they have is not that someday their economy is going to turn around. The hope that they have is someday Nero will be assassinated or overthrown and there will be a new, more godly, kinder, gentler, you know, emperor. Their hope is that the, that the trade route will come back. No, no, no. Their hope isn't on anything that this world has to offer. Their hope is held up for them in heaven and it's secured there. In Hebrews chapter 6, it says this. I love it. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Their economy is going to rise and fall, just as ours will. Governments are going to come and go. Circumstances are going to rise. But there's something that's solid, and that's what their hope is. It's not what they're hoping for. It's who they are hoping in. What they're hoping for may or may not ever happen on this earth. But who they're hoping in doesn't change. In Colossians 1.27, and again, <laughs> we'll look at this in three weeks. But I just, and I, I referenced it last week. It says, to them... God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you the hope of glory Christ in you. Remember we ended last week about us being in Christ but it's Christ in you and that's the hope that's the hope that can't be taken away. That's the hope that they hold on to. That's the hope of glory. The hope is not a what, the hope is a who. And how about us? How about us? I want to ask, is your hope in the stock market turning around, the economy being strong, being able to sell your house for 10 times more than it's worth? Is that where your hope is? Is your hope in a political party? Is your hope in the government? Listen, if you put your hope in anything other than Jesus Christ, somewhere along the way, it will fail you. It will disappoint you. They had this confident hope from Jesus for eternity. And so can we. We can be the most hopeful, and we should be, the most hopeful people on the face of the planet. Not because we're ignorant about what's going on in our world, but because we have a hope in Christ Jesus. All right. So, so he, he, he just lays these three things out, these And it's interesting because in Corinthians, he writes about faith, hope, and love, but these three remain. He's talking about this confident uh, hope that they have, this complete love that they have, and this compelling faith that they have. And then there's two other pillars I want to hit real quick before we go. Uh, Verse five and six, he says, you've already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. The word of truth. Remember, they're surrounded by all kinds of false teaching. There's Gnosticism. There's the Jewish legalism. There's mysticism. There's all the spiritism. There's the the humanism. There's all of this stuff. But he says, you've got the word of truth. And it's the gospel. It's the good news. It's what you heard from uh, Epaphras. He brought that to you. And so this church is built on the truth of God's word. Last week I said, we're not gonna be arrogant, but we're not gonna be apologetic about the role that Jesus plays as first and foremost and front and center and supreme and sufficient. Likewise, we will not back down on this one, that the word of God is our rule of faith. It's our plumb line. It is our measuring rod. It is where we get our directions from. It's the gospel, this, this word of truth. And they built their church on that. Not only that, but it says all over the world, this is what I've already read, the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since uh, since the day you heard of it and understood God's grace in all truth. Remember last week, the first word he says to them, grace. Chapter 14, verse 18, the last thing he says to them, grace be with you. And now again, he's hitting it. He says, this grace, the grace in all its truth, they're built on the truth of God's word and the truth of God's grace. And if you think about that, truth, God's word, and God's grace, the bottom line is they're built on Jesus, the supreme sufficient one. In John chapter 1, verse 14, we read these words. The Word, Jesus, capital W there, the Word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, look at it, full of grace and truth. Both. So this church in this tiny little town that Paul had never even visited is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. Maybe a small little congregation, not very wealthy, not, not very influential or impacting by human standards. Paul says this church is a model. This church is a model for Cornwall Church to follow. This is a church is a model for every church to follow because they have this compelling faith in Jesus Internally. This complete love of Jesus externally and this confident hope from Jesus eternally. And it's built on the grace and the truth of the word through Jesus. What a picture. That's what a church looks like. So how about us, Cornwall Church? How about us? Would that be what people hear about us as a whole? Would they know that Cornwall Church is a church that is not only born on faith, but lives by faith, walks in faith, lives out love, not only has hope, but brings hope to this world, doesn't waver from the truth or grace? Okay, maybe you can't answer for the whole church. What about us individually? What about you? What about me? Because that's us, remember? Jesus said, I will build my church. How does he do that? You and I, we're part of his church. How is your faith and your love and your hope and your grace and truth? Let me steal some words from Peter said this in 2 Peter 3, 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory, both now and forever. Amen. That's our charge, to continue to grow in the grace that Jesus offers us, the knowledge that we would have a deeper faith, greater love, an unshakable hope in Christ. Let me circle back one more time and read this out of chapter one, verse six. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ.